Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, guys. Uh, so many families in our church have been part of that, and we're going to recognize those at the end of the service, by the way, and just have a special time of prayer for them. But thank you for that testimony and for so many others that have given of their time and efforts for these precious families and for these children in our area and their opportunities, as Randy said, still for you to be part of that and go the breeze way and, and um, get more information about it today. Let me pray for us now, and we're going to begin. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us now to gather together, to sing praises, to think about you, Father. Uh, just, to, just to focus on your heart for us over the next little while, Lord, I pray that we would open our hearts. I pray, Father, through the, the power of the Spirit, we could, we could hear from you, we could, we could understand your word. Lord, I pray we'd be convicted of our sin, Father, compelled to live differently for you, changed in some way. Father, I pray that your word would just speak directly to our hearts. And I pray as we do every Sunday morning, Father, through the power of the Spirit working in our hearts and minds, we could be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. This is a, a very special Sunday for us. We have been leading up to this point. For the last several weeks, I, I hope uh, at some point in the last few weeks you've picked up a little brochure. <clears throat> and I hope in the process you've also picked up an envelope and a commitment card. If you have not, there are some in the back and, and, and back here as well. Today we're going to ask you um, to make a commitment. This is the process of us expanding and, and growing our facilities and, and so many new families and so many young children. And, and we're running low on space in several areas. And so I pray that your family's been praying about this. I pray you've been thinking about it and asking the Lord to guide you. <clears throat> I pray more than anything else it's been a spiritual decision for you, not a financial decision. I pray it's been an opportunity for your family to grow in their faith, grow in their walk. We've been talking about being generous and sacrificial and willing and joyful in the way we give. And, and so I want to continue to remind you of that this morning. But I thought, you know, on, on the Giving Sunday, I prayed a lot about this and thought about it. I had a couple of different ideas in mind. But, but as I thought more about it and uh, kind of began my study process earlier in this week, I, I felt kind of led by the Lord not to talk about giving this morning. I've talked about giving for four weeks. And I want you to give and I want you to sacrifice and I want you to be part and find joy in that. But I thought, you know, it is about giving and we want you to be part of this. We're going to give you a chance at the end of the service. But it's far more than that for you. It's far more than about how much money you're going to give to this project. It's, it's so much more than just your money. It's really just about your heart and where you are in your walk with Christ. And I thought, you know, if, if somebody doesn't give to this, that's between you and the Lord. But my prayer in this whole process is that you would more than ever give your heart to Christ. Trust Him. Follow Him. Be, be willing to sacrifice for Him whatever the cost. Be generous in the way you treat others. Be, be willing to serve Him in joy and uh, do all the things He's called you to do. And I thought, you know, in order to think through that this morning, there's probably no better place to look than Mark chapter 8 when Christ kind of gives this distinct command, this very challenging command to His followers. And so today's not all about giving. You're, you're, there's a chance at the end to give. <clears throat> I'm not going to talk about giving. I'm going to talk about instead following Christ with 
your whole heart. Now, Mark chapter 8 is an interesting chapter in the Bible because things are going to change for Jesus. Up to this point in his ministry, if you're familiar with the life of Christ, he's done some pretty incredible things. Uh, walked on water, fed a lot of people, done miracles, even raised people from the dead. And large groups of people have followed him. Large crowds have gathered. They've been kind of walking around with him. And oftentimes what we find with this crowd and with these people is that they're following Jesus, trying to figure out what they can get from him. Like what can I get from Jesus? And we're going to cover this in just a minute, but I think it's interesting if we kind of ask ourselves the question, how often do we follow Jesus simply because of what he can give for us? Right, so you've got these, these, these large crowds of people that are following Jesus, watching these miraculous things happen, hoping just to touch his garment oftentimes so they can be blessed and receive miraculous things in their life. And at this point in his ministry, Jesus is really going to turn the tables on them. He's going to challenge them in ways he's never challenged them before. And I pray in the process of reading through this, you'll be challenged as well. So Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. I think we have it on our screens. You can follow along as well. In your copy of God's Word, Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the village, villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, just a, a very important question, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. I pause just for a second. We're going to come back to it here in just a second. I want you to see what happens next. There's this point in the ministry of Jesus where people are questioning, they're uncertain. Who is Jesus? Is he Elijah, one of the prophets? What's he doing on this earth? He's been doing miraculous things. We can continue to follow him and great things will happen to us. Jesus asks his disciples, listen, who, who do you say that I am? And then the turning point really in the ministry of Christ is when he explains to them very clearly in plain words exactly what's about to happen to him. And he says to them, verse 31 again, I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Right? So there's no doubt, verse 32, the Bible tells us he said this plainly. So there's nobody wondering, what, you know, what is he... What's he really talking about here? Is he really not, is he not being honest with us? Is he not fully explaining? He spoke plainly to them. And then Peter's response, verse 32, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I always laugh at that idea of Peter rebuking Christ. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of Man, and let's stop there and let's draw some truth out of this. As, as we think about living our lives for Christ, as we think about being willing to sacrifice and to serve Him and to trust Him in all things, be willing to hand over our very lives to Him, there's some truth in here I want you to see and understand. If we're going to be able to do those things, we need to understand these truths. Here's the first one. Number one, we must have a spiritual perspective in life. We need to have a spiritual perspective in life. 
Oftentimes we get confused by the things of the world and the things of Christ. Oftentimes we have a worldly perspective and not a Christian perspective. And so in this context, Jesus has just kind of explained to his disciples what he's about to happen. What's about to happen to him. What he's going to do. How he's going to suffer. How he's going to be arrested. How he's going to be killed. How on the third day he's going to rise again. Peter. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'm battling it like everybody else. So I, I may hack a little bit this morning. Forgive me. Peter, who's got an earthly perspective, says to Jesus, listen, we're not interested in that, Christ. We're not going to let those things happen to you. We're not going to let you be arrested and, and crucified and killed and buried. We're not going to let the, We're going to stand in the way of these people who are going to try to do this. We're going to stop this from happening. But Jesus, because he's got a spiritual perspective, understands things that Peter does not understand. Pull verse 33 back up again. Look at the response of Jesus. He rebukes Peter, says, get behind me, Satan, which we'll talk about in a second. Listen to the explanation here. Peter, you're not see, setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Right, Peter, you've got the wrong perspective. Right, you're looking at things from an earthly standpoint, not from a heavenly standpoint. You need to have the perspective of the things of Christ if you're going to follow me. Now, Jesus' response reminds us of the time that he was walking in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil. You may remember the story of Jesus. He's baptized, the Bible says. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness. He's tempted by the enemy. And in Matthew chapter 4, he's taken up on this high mountain and the devil's with him. And the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to Jesus, all this I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Right? Jesus understood we need to set our, our mind and our hearts on the things of Christ, not on the things of man. But here's our problem. Sometimes we have the wrong perspective, don't we? Sometimes we have a wrong perspective when we look at the things of this earth and we see the things of the world more clearly than we see the things of Christ. Have you guys seen one of these before? Anybody seen one of these? Right, they're VR goggles, virtual reality goggles. I'm, I'm just interested in this kind of stuff. I'm interested in video stuff anyway. And this is kind of the, this is the, the new thing. It's not super new, but this is kind of the next generation. Right, we laugh at this, but probably in a few years we'll all be wearing these things when we watch TV and watch movies. And the best part about VR goggles, the best part about VR goggles is, is watching somebody else with them on because they just look silly, don't they? <laughs> How cool is this, right? And the, the real fun part is when they're watching something, they're like, can, can you, and the, the facial expressions, and then they try to walk and bump into things, and it's just funny to watch them. It's an interesting perspective, and, and these are a little bit different. These take a, 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 just a phone. I don't have my phone with me, but if I had my phone, I could just clip it in here and uh, open up an app like Google Streets, right? Streets, if you use Google Street Maps, it's got a VR function. You put it in here, and you can almost go, not every place, but almost every place in the world, you can go and look at in 3D. And that means I can put these things on and look around 360 degrees and see all around me. I can stand at the Eiffel Tower. Uh, there, by the way, those of you that have been to New Day Orphanage, I did one at New Day, so you can go to Zambia, Africa, to New Day Orphanage, and you can stand in the middle of the road by the water tower, those of you that have been, and in 360 degrees, you can look all around. It's phenomenal. It's unbelievable. It's an entirely new perspective on video. It gives us a whole new understanding, a whole new look. It's, it's really the, the future, and in a few years, we'll all be using these things. 
But it's interesting to me because sometimes we, we talk about the perspective of, of the things of Christ. And here's what we want to do, right? We want to treat Christ like some VR goggles, right? We show up at church and we put our goggles on everything's good. Bless you, brother. God bless you in the name of Christ, right? We, we put on this, this whole virtual idea of who we're supposed to be and we project, right? And we've got the right perspective when we're at church. And as soon as we get in the car, the goggles come off. And we throw them in the back seat of the car and we pick them back up Sunday morning again, don't we? But we don't have that perspective of Christ through the rest of the week like we ought to. We, we treat them just like they're VR goggles. We put them on, we take them off, we put them on, we take them off. Christ says, listen, if you're serious about walking with me, and you don't have to be serious, by the way, it's your cause, totally abuse between you and the Lord. But if you're serious about walking with me, you need to have a different perspective in life. You need to keep these things on. You need to kind of have these gospel goggles, so to speak. You need, you need to keep this perspective all the time so you understand there's a difference between the things of the world and the things of Christ. Far too many of us don't understand the difference. So here's the trap we fall into. We, we, we find ourselves in this place where, where we look at the things of Jesus and we look at who Christ is and we're willing to follow Jesus as long as he's given us the things that we need, Right? Like, I'm going to put these goggles on because it looks cool for a few minutes and everything's good and I'm receiving something pretty cool and I enjoy it. But as soon as Christ quits giving me what I want or doesn't answer the prayer I think he ought to answer or is not doing what I think he ought to do in my life, I'm taking those things right back off. Like, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you give me what I need. I'll trust you as long as you're answering my prayers, taking care of my family, give me enough food, give me a good job. But, but the minute one of those things goes away, I'm not going to follow you like I ought to, right? We, we ought to kind of find ourselves in this place where we understand that this is important when we think about this because too many of us kind of find ourselves at this point in Christianity. I think this is the failure of modern Christianity. We find ourselves in this place where we, we want to know what Christ has done for us and we never ask the question, what does Christ require of me? And that's, that's new for some of y'all. You're like, huh. I've never asked the question of what Christ requires of me. Like I'm so busy asking him to answer my prayers, and we should. I'm so busy asking him to intervene in my life, and we should. All those things are important. I'm so busy trying to get him to fix my marriage or my house situation or my family or whatever. I've, I'm, I'm so busy asking him to fix these things, and we should. I'm so busy asking those things that I've never asked what he requires of me. Right, we just kind of want to walk down the road and get and receive and get and receive and never actually give back. And so the question becomes then, what does Christ require of us? He answers it. Pull verse 34 back up if you would. Mark 8, 34. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. And, and just <clears throat> so we're clear on the depth that he's getting at here, it's not just some superficial feel-good kind of thing, verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it. He's talking about our lives here. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Here's truth number two. We must totally give ourselves to Christ and to his commands. We need to totally give ourselves to Christ and to His commands. Now here's what some of you are doing. Some of you are like, well, I get that passage of Scripture. 
I've read it before, but I'm off the hook because Jesus is talking to his disciples and to the super Christians. He's not talking to me. I'm just kind of the average guy, average lady. I'm not doing anything real fancy. Jesus obviously is not talking to me like this. Uh, he's talking to somebody else. Well, I would just draw your attention to verse 34. Jesus, at this point, has been teaching his disciples. He's been training them. They've been living with him. Incredible things have happened. And then verse 34, he calls who? What's the word? Calling the crowd, right? Not just his disciples. Not just his followers. Everybody. So, so we just imagine, I mean, he's fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And there, 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 there may be 15 to 20 <clears throat> to 25,000 people following him. And he's been teaching his disciples and training his disciples. But this one, he calls the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he says to them, listen, if anybody's going to follow me, come after me, they've got to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Jesus at this moment is speaking to everybody. And he takes us from this place. Now, this is, this is kind of the pivotal point in his ministry. He takes us from this place of low commitment. I'm just following Christ because what he can give me, he's going to feed me. Uh, he's going to do some miraculous things. He's going to heal me when I'm sick. He goes from this place of low commitment to total commitment. It's not just about what you can get from me, Jesus says. It's about giving your life for the sake of the gospel. Picking up your cross, denying yourself, and following me. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's okay, I get that. He's talking to the crowd to take up your cross, follow me, be willing to give your life. But it's taken out of context, right? You're grasping at straws now. Because <laughs> you want to justify not having to do this. We want to justify in our, in our hearts that he can't really mean giving my, my life and be willing to sacrifice for him. Well, a couple things you need to understand. This command is found in three of the four Gospels. So it's not just a fluke. And then we see on other occasions in other parts of Scripture how he commands people to do some pretty radical things. So Mark chapter 10, verse 21, speaking to the rich young ruler. Right, this rich young guy comes up to Jesus and he basically says, Listen, how do I find eternal life? Mark 10, 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Interesting. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, to this... You were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What steps? The steps of suffering. The steps of being willing to give everything. The steps of, of following the will of his heavenly Father, regardless of what it cost him. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first, Jesus says. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, verse 5, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. I, I want to say something to you, and I, and I hope I don't hurt your feelings. I hope you hear the truth of God's word coming through this. If you're looking for a Savior that doesn't expect anything from you, you're greatly mistaken. Now, I want to be clear, because I don't want any confusion to, to arise here. This, this has nothing to do with salvation. 
Right? You, you're, you're, you're not going to work your way to salvation. You're not going to work your way to Christ loving you more. You can't do enough things. But the Bible's pretty clear. Christ gives us salvation freely. It's by grace, through faith. We, we understand that. We've talked about that. You can't work your way to heaven. can't do enough good things to get to heaven. But once you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're going to be serious about it, it requires you to do things for Him. It requires sacrifice. Now, what that is between you and the Lord, I, I would never... Uh, pretend to stand up here and tell you you need to do these three things. It's not like a list you can check off. It's not legalism where you got to do a certain thing, can't wear certain clothes, can't go see these movies. It's not legalism. There's grace in Christ. There's this clear balance here between what He calls us to do and grace. But at the same time, we've got to understand that Christ calls us to serve Him. He calls us to take up our cross and follow Him. David Platt said it like this. He's the president of the IMB. Some of you have read some of his books over the years. He asked this question, will we risk everything? Our comfort, our possessions, our safety, our security, our very lives to make the gospel known? Such rising up and such risk-taking are unavoidable, urgent results of a life that is radically abandoned to Jesus. Now, here's what we begin to do. We think, you know what? <clears throat> What does it mean to take up my cross? So that must mean I've got to get on a plane and fly here. I've got to go sell everything I own. Or I've got to go do that. It could be tomorrow at work. You could, you could radically serve Jesus today at lunch with your server. You can radically serve Jesus in your home tonight with your families. You can radically serve Jesus tomorrow morning in the classroom, teachers or students. You can radically serve Jesus at your place of business tomorrow. There, there are all sorts of ways we can radically serve Jesus. It's really between you and the Lord, but it's about our heart, isn't it? It's about our desire to follow Him, to trust Him, to take up our cross, regardless of the cost, and follow Him. Now, just so we're clear, because <laughs> right, it's easy for us. I, think, I, I love how this happens oftentimes in Scripture. It's almost like the Lord kind of uh, <clears throat> sees the arguments we're going to make and the excuses we're going to make, and He kind of beats us to the punch. So look in verse 38 of Mark chapter 8. Jesus is going to be very clear about what He's saying here. Mark eight thirty-six. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Right? We need a, a spiritual perspective. We need to be willing to give up everything for Christ. And then truth number three, we must recognize the foolishness of seeking the things of this world over the things of Christ. We must recognize the foolishness of seeking the things of this world over the things of Christ. Many of you know I enjoy history and have a degree in history and taught history and, and still enjoy reading history occasionally. And you'll know throughout history there have been people that have literally, I'm just looking here at verse 36, there have been people that have literally tried to gain the whole world. When you think about people like Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Adolf Hitler, on and on the list goes. The people that really did want to control and rule the entire world. They all have a couple things in common. <laughs> the first is they failed. The second is they died trying. Right, Jesus says, what, what is it going to profit you to gain the whole world and, and lose your soul? Now we know this, right? None of us would disagree. We're like, yes, of course that's true. We understand that. 
We know we can't gain the whole world. For, we don't want to forfeit our souls. We, we get that. We say the right things. We put on the goggles at the right time and make the right comments. But I just worry too many of us, we, we take those goggles back off and we run the race as if we're really trying to win the world. Forsaking the things of Christ. I don't know if any of us would admit that or even necessarily see that in our lives, but I think if we're not careful, we find ourselves running through life so quickly and we've got so little time to give to Christ that in the end we're actually trying to gain the world and in the process we're forfeiting our souls. Now, a whole other sermon, I'm not going to get into this. I, I, I just, I'm just concerned, this is my personal concern for you and, and, and really for my family, that we're so busy with things oftentimes that we just neglect the important things of life. And we get so busy doing so many activities that are pretty good that we miss the great activities. Right, like spending time with your family. Like if you just think, when's the, when's the last time my family was all together in a room, not rushed, and we could just have a great conversation or play a game or have a meal? I mean, we get so confused and, and, and so separated and there's so much going on. And like for a struggle for us, and this is an active conversation Amy and I have, right? We, we, we really have tried over the years to model for our family time together, being together. And we, I, I've told you all this. We get, got rid of our TV when Gracie was a baby. We hadn't had a TV for 15 or 16 years. We just don't have a TV. But our TVs now have become our screens. Right? And so instead of sitting in front of the TV at home, a lot of families now come home and everybody gets on their device. And although they're in the same room, they're separate from each other, aren't they? We're, we're, we're missing this truth, right? We're, we're, we're missing the truth that Christ is giving us here. Sometimes we're, we're doing all these things that are involved. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with a screen. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying sometimes we miss the truth here of what Christ is saying to us. Listen, we need to set aside the things of the world. Not worry so much about those things. There are greater things to be had. There's more joy in life than Facebook feeds or Instagram feeds, right? There's, there's more joy in life than, than a screen. I, I think about Howard Hughes. I, I've read about him in the past and seen some interesting videos of him and things he built. If you don't know who Howard Hughes was, he's a very wealthy kind of entrepreneur, philanthropist, engineer, uh, airplane designer. In fact, the, the, the way I first came to read and understand about Howard Hughes was because he built this... Uh, this plane that was kind of like a boat called the Spruce Goose back in the late 40s. The Spruce Goose was the largest airplane ever built. He built it kind of in the middle of World War II or he started the process of building it to be a troop transport. And it was supposed to carry like 750 soldiers, a massive plane. It had a wingspan over 300 feet long. <clears throat> from the, from the, uh, the ground to the top of the tail was like eight stories. It had eight engines but the production took longer than it should have. There were problems they ran into. And by the time he finally finished, it was 1947. The war had already ended. Funded had, funding had stopped. And so he built it. And he flew it one time. There's a video you can look of Howard Hughes flying the Spruce Goose in California. He, he basically, uh, it's, a, it's a water plane. He takes it off, flies it just a few feet over the water for a couple hundred feet. And lands it simply to prove that he could do it. But he was an incredibly wealthy man. In fact, in today's dollars, he was worth like, I think, 10 or 11 billion dollars. I mean, he had everything, right? I mean, he had the world. Owned companies, gave money away, produced films, directed films, designed things, was an aviator, had all this industrial thing, all these industrial things he had designed and done. And yet at the end of his life, he died a hermit. He was alone and depressed. Y'all go read about him. He's an interesting man. 
He spent the, really the, the last several years of his life in total seclusion, rarely leaving his home because he was afraid of what might happen when he stepped out. I mean, he did some incredible things, and he, by at least worldly standards, had the world. And yet he died hopeless and without joy. He's just one of many examples we could point to that illustrate the point Christ is trying to make. It doesn't help us to gain the world and lose our soul. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 says this, Whatever I gain, excuse me, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Man, what are you allowing the Lord to do in your life? How much are you giving to Him? How much of your time? How, how much of your effort? How much of your business? How much of your family? I mean, are, are we Christians that can honestly say, listen, we're taking up our cross. We're willing to follow Christ to the ends of the earth. Or are we confused? Are we putting on the goggles when the time is right and taking them back off when we want to take them off? Christ has called us to follow Him to radical obedience. He's used the cross as our example. And He's explained to us that when we lose our life for Him, we gain it. Where are you today? Do you have the spiritual perspective? Do you understand you need to give everything for Him? Are you following the things of Christ instead of the things of the world? Are you willing to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Him? Because when you do that, He uses you to accomplish great things, and He always receives honor and glory in our obedience. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for the word you've given us this morning. We thank you for the challenge, Father, of taking up our cross and following you. We thank you, Lord, for the obedience of so many that have gone before us. And Father, we pray right now that we would trust you, that we would seek you, that we would hear from you. Father, we pray you do great work in our hearts for the sake of your kingdom. And we'll give you the praise, honor, and the glory for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. Here's how I want to do this this morning. We're going to offer a time of invitation. And during the process of the invitation, you can come down and give your commitment. I'd like you to do it as a family if, if that's the way the Lord leads. Maybe have a time of prayer over it and place it in our basket. The altar is open. You can come and pray. This is an opportunity for you to respond. You come as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.